People, welcome to Fantasy Fire and Ice, brought to you by Sportstopia, where unlike Arthur Smith in Atlanta, we're trying to use our best players to help you win. Oh, now, Matt, I know the the Falcons won. What are you talking about? Well, we're going to get to that because I have some questions about Bijan Robinson. But before we get there, we want to talk a little more about who you need going forward. But before you go forward... You have to look back at the weekend. Week two of the NFL brought us some good, brought us some bad, brought us some sloppy. What happened to all of those points that were supposed to happen in that Chiefs-Jaguars game? I'm sure we'll get some explanations about that a little bit later. But look, we have experts here at Sportstopia that are giving you advice every single week. And just last week, our Terrell Furman had a little prediction about how this Rams game was going to go if you were trying to figure out what running back to use. Let's take a listen. Uh, But Kyron Williams effectively not only dominated, he just looked better. Like, he just looked way better. And if you roster Cam Akers, one – Shout out to you for rostering Cam Akers. I I, I think I have zero ownership in Cam Akers in any possible fantasy situation possible. So a very, very shout out to you. And shout out to the Sharps that got down on Kyron Williams because you're ahead of everybody. I think that that is the changing of the guard, honestly. I just can't. He just completely looked better. Oh, well, thank you, Mr. Furman. I I am... I have some Cam Akers stock myself. I wish I was one of those sharps that was able to get Kyron Williams. He played so well, he put Cam Akers' ass on the trade block. They're running Cam Akers out of town. Williams, two touchdowns, 100 yards. Sean McVay doesn't care what Akers did at the end of last year, like apparently I did when I was drafting him in multiple leagues. It's Kyron Williams' time. And I doubt we see Akers in a Rams uniform in the near future. Looks like they're trying to trade him around. Okay, so if you listened there, you would have known to get out ahead of this. I mean, Akers was even inactive. He was frustrated. He was tweeting about it. So good call there by Mr. Furman heading into the weekend. How about another good call? Maybe you saw Cincinnati last weekend and Joe Burrow was just suffering under the weight of his own bank account. That was an ugly game, a sloppy game. And... If you're a Bengals fan, I wouldn't blame you if you were booing them like a few people did yesterday. But still, our own Simon here at Sportstopia, he had some good vibes about Cincinnati heading into the weekend. Here was one of his predictions and one of his stacks. I'm going to kick us off with mine here today, guys. And this one is a, it's a stack of redemption. It's a stack with a stud, but it's a stack from the Cincinnati Bengals that got absolutely blasted by the Browns last week. I'm taking Joe Burrow, and I'm taking T. Higgins in this one. Um, T. Higgins' ownership is relatively low compared to some of the other ones. Jamar Chase, his projected ownership is up in the 20s at this point. T. Higgins down at 14.3, so still pretty high. But I was talking to Steezy before the show. I don't mind being a little bit more chalk with my stack and then get contrarian outside of it. Not bad, Mr. Simon. Two touchdowns for old T. Higgins after the goose egg in week one. 89 yards, and those are Burrow's uh, two touchdowns of the game, so it's not like Burrow exactly lit it up. So good to see T. Higgins bounce back, but but uh, hang on. I, we're, we're, I'm getting a phone call from 
from the actual stud wide receiver in Cincinnati. It's Jamar Chase, who is putting up terrible numbers. Now, maybe you drafted him in the first round of your league. Couldn't be me. I wouldn't make such a poor decision, but maybe you did. And through two weeks, maybe you see that he only has 70 yards. Well, as long as Burrow's calf holds out, hope springs eternal for Jamar Chase. But until that happens, we'll just let Simon relish in the victory of his stack. Now, what he won't tell you is that all of his other players went over, but I'll let him explain that because I don't think he is the millie maker for the weekend. Now, okay, look, two good predictions in a row, but you can't get them right all of the time. So this past weekend, we were expecting a little bit of a shootout with that Chiefs-Jaguars, or at least I was, and at least that's what I told my bookie. But that didn't end up happening. Points were kind of hard to come by. They were at a premium after uh, we saw what the Jaguars could do in week one, and we know what Mahomes and the boys are capable of. So going into the weekend, though, Monotone Betts, who is one of our sharpest minds here, he hits on his best. He had a prediction for that game. I'll let you be the judge about whether it came true. A little bit. They use him a little bit more responsibly than maybe we've seen in years past. And that opens up some other guys that no one in the world is going to be playing this week that I'm going to be playing. You put in a guy like Kadarius Tony, who the world just saw five drops, right? There is no way Kadarius Tony's clear in 5% ownership in any of these contests. So someone's got to play him. And hey, you got to be wide open to make those all, all those terrible drops he made last week, right? If you, if you watch back the tape, he was consistently open. He just wasn't getting the job done. Obviously, you take ownership of that. You work harder. You know, he's staying after 30 minutes catching balls, all that stuff that you like to see from the beat reporters, blah, blah, blah. The point is, at the end of the day, I know when I'm sitting there making my lineups, I think I have an edge over the field in this game. People are going to love to target this game. High score. I mean, we got Mahomes and Trevor Lawrence. This should be a great game. It really should be, shouldn't it? He- Hello, God? Yes, it's me, Monato. I know who you are. Yeah, I was just hoping that maybe you, you could make Kadarius Tony look like the player he was during that one game when he was on the Giants. Uh, I'll see what I can do. Yeah, and if he could just catch a few more passes. Oh, okay, okay. well, this conversation's over. Look, he was right about one thing. Kadarius Tony. a lot of people were out on him. Tony didn't exactly deliver, though. Yes, he caught a few more passes, but he didn't really turn any of those passes into much. So, what is the Chiefs? Who are the Chiefs' pass catchers going forward? Kelsey came back. They kind of eased him into it, but he had a touchdown. So, are we still buying into Kadarius Tony going forward because we're chasing that one high he had that one time? Well, Monotone was this past weekend. So, yes, low ownership. Low results. All right, next, like a 50-50 ball in the air, this next prediction from our own Steezy A. Smith could could have go either way. He had a tough choice here. Do you take Puka Nakua, everybody's new favorite player, or do you take Garrett Wilson, the guy who was supposed to be the guy before the other guy, Aaron Rodgers, went down? Here was his prediction for the weekend. It's a tough matchup, but give me Puka Nakua. 
look, that okay. San Francisco 49ers defense is vaunted. Yes, it scares me. I mean, I would know, right, just because my Seahawks, Seahawks do play that team multiple yeah. times a year, every single year. But I'm not scared, and I'm just fantasy terms, right? I'm not scared of their cornerbacks. And with the Puka Nakua, who they move all over the formation, uh, they're going to manufacture touches for him, um, mm -hmm. just like they did with, with the 2-2 two -two Otwell. So he doesn't have to worry about creating separation. And I just think with the, with the Puka Nakua, he's earned the trust of a Matthew Stafford. Just like in Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, it's not easy for him to trust receivers. And for him to trust a rookie fifth rounder at a BYU in the manner that he did, I mean, 15 targets, my that's gosh, absurd. that's absurd. And so for me... I'm just glad that I was able to add him in some of my favorite leagues because just like you, Terrell, I was super high on Garrett Wilson. I took him eighth mm -hmm. overall, ninth overall in a bunch of redraft leagues. And now I'm just like going up against the Dallas Cowboys. Do I even want to start him? Well, listen, you spent all your money on Puka Nakua. We all spent our fab money on Puka Nakua. And you were ridiculed by all of your league mates. I can't believe you paid this much for that guy. And everybody started singing the Hakuna Matata song, making the same joke over and over and over again. Well, guess what? 15 grabs, 20 targets. Puka Nakua planted his flag in the field, even though it was a tough matchup against the Niners. And he's playing that cup role pretty much perfectly. So what's going to happen when Cooper Cup comes back? We'll get to that in a second. Now, as for the other one, Garrett Wilson, yeah, Puka outperformed him, and Garrett Wilson didn't do much, but he did do enough on the 82 yards with the touchdown, only two grabs, but he made the most of his opportunities there. Now, I'm not trusting the Wilson throwing to him, but in this weekend, this weekend, they both did pretty good, but he was right. Puka did better, and Puka's going to keep doing better. You know why? Because I spent all of my fat money week, week one on him, and he's going to deliver. Now, if you don't think that's good advice, wait till you hear about this because nobody at Sportstopia was more right about this next prediction that also has to do with the Jets. I will go to the running game. And and the only reason I want to go here is, is something I said there, you know, when we had our draft, and, and I'll say it again. Brees Hall is coming off a catastrophic injury for a running back. And I I know these guys are freak athletes, but but sometimes it takes a while. I know Adrian Peterson made it look easy, but it's not. And I think if the Jets were that confident that he was going to be that near running back one that we saw last season before he went down, they wouldn't have signed Dalvin Cook. They wouldn't have done it. So I... I I'm not going to feature Brees Hall until I see it with my own eyes. I'm, I'm not going to play him. I'm not going to put him in a lineup. I'm just not going to do it. Holy, holy crap. Was that bad before last Monday night's game? Brees Hall single-handedly made me look like the biggest idiot in fantasy football. Now, he might have done that with just that performance, but all of my other predictions also would back that up. Besides the point. This past weekend, Brees Hall made me look like a genius. He did not do anything. Four rushes, nine yards, two targets. My prediction was for the wrong weekend. So if we can just take that one from before the Monday night game and pretend it happened just yesterday, 
you should follow me for all of your advice. Remember to smash that subscribe button, people. Okay. I'm basically Bill Belichick here, throwing a challenge flag in disgust. Oh, my gosh. All right, so we ran the gamut. Good, bad, ugly, kind of funny. Very much right on Brees Hall if you only apply it to one week. So let's get some people in here that are a lot smarter than I am. You don't want to hear me rant and rave about our predictions anymore. So we will bring in two of the smartest guys in the room right now because they're the only other two guys in the room. Cody Carpenter is joining us again this week. And even though he couldn't make it last week, he's coming back like an experimental Achilles surgery very early. It is Mark Garcia joining the program. All right, guys. Welcome, welcome, Mark. Welcome, Cody. Welcome back. How are we feeling about the weekend? I, Mark, I want to hear from you because I heard Cody talk a lot last weekend and he was very right and he made me look <laughs> stupid. So I want to hear from you, Mark. How, how did the weekend go? Any good lineups? Any big hits? Any big whiffs? Yeah, I had a I had a sweat in the Millie Maker uh, that did not come through, um, but uh, the process is there, man. Um, we are we're feeling in midseason form, so uh, I feel like it's coming. Yeah, you you had mentioned before the show uh, going into the four o'clock games, you you were to the top of the leaderboard. Yeah, I had the most uh, the highest score with the most PMR remaining, so uh, it was looking all right. And then uh, my. <laughs> My, my solid stable of afternoon components scored a whopping zero points, so that was great. Yeah, yeah that's what you want. Well, that's, that's what you want to see, of course, yeah. when, you're, when you're looking at those, those big dollar signs. Cody, how are we, we doing? How was the weekend? How did it treat you? Any, any good lineups? Doing fantastic. Not any good lineups this weekend. Uh, thankful to the Anthony Richardson early exit. It was looking looking pretty mighty fine with the two early rushing touchdowns, and I was just like you know dancing in my living room, and then all of a sudden – you know, it just all kind of went downhill from there with Anthony Richardson exiting. But yeah, it was a good weekend in total. Well, I, I think we have a lot to recap. And and I, I want to talk about some of those lineups. Mark, we, maybe we can get to some of your 1 o'clock uh, hits that you had there. But it, you look at the some of the winning lineups uh, from this past weekend. I, I could start a lot of places, but I guess I'll start with the obvious. A lot of the people who finished in the money probably had Puka Nakua in their lineup. I, I, I mean, he... He, the performance he gave, and, and Cody, I'll, I'll start here. I think you tweeted it out. The performance he had, Cooper Cup never did that. Cooper Cup has never had a game with 20 targets. He had one with 19. He's never had a game with 15 receptions. He did have one with 14. And when you look at the league standings right now, as far as the receiving, rece receiving, Puka's number one in receptions by five over Justin Jefferson. And then in yards, it's Jefferson, Puka Nakua, Tyreek Hill. And everyone's like, well, is he playing the Cooper Cup role? He's pretty clearly playing the Cooper Cup role. We talked about it before the show. The route, the routes that Puka's running are all that of which Cooper Cup ran. You're seeing him get the handoffs behind. Not only did he get 20 targets, but he also had two, two carries in this game on jet sweeps. Like this is the exact role that Cooper Cup played in over the last couple of seasons. And when you look up at the at the leaderboard, as far as receiving goes, it should be no shocker that you say Puka right there between Justin Jefferson and Tyreek Hill. That's exactly where Cooper Cup was. It's just wild, and the conversation was brought up before the show too. What's what's it going to look like when Cooper Cup does come back? I, I don't know. Puka looks he looks pretty good. He doesn't look like what he did at the Senior Bowl. I'll tell you that. He did not have a great Senior Bowl, but um, it's a guy that I've been wishy-washy on through the process. Out of college, the tape looked great. Senior Bowl, he did not. And now through camp, you heard the positive about Puka. And now you see it on the field. He's the, he's the, I wouldn't want to say he's the truth, but he's a very competent wide receiver in the NFL. He reminds me a lot of 
Cooper Cup, a lot of Adam Thielen, a lot of these guys that are just you know not the above average athletes, but they're just right there. They're good enough, and they're very smart and savvy in the route running. It kind of makes me think that if I went out there and ran a few crossing routes, maybe I could be ranked behind Justin Jefferson at some point. Mark, Mark, I, I, I know, I, I know. When everybody was drafting Cup in the first round, you were taking Puka, right? No, no, no. Actually, Cup is uh, my highest ownership in the first round, so uh, I'm excited for him to come back based on what Puka's doing right now. <laughs> do you, Do you see it as being sustainable, though? I mean, if you have two guys basically playing the same role, I, I, do you see it as being? sustainable and and do you see that opening up maybe something over the top uh for some of the other guys yeah this is very interesting because for the past three seasons uh when healthy van jefferson has kind of been that deep uh component of this offense he's been the guy to manipulate safeties he's been the guy running the seven to nine routes and as i see things now he's not even being utilized as that anymore and we have this guy in tutu atwell former first round draft capital who has um borderline elite speed uh, that is capable of running those seven to nines so in my mind when trying to figure out how sean McVay is going to be designing an offense around these kind of four plus the running backs plus tyler higby uh, it's probably going to be one of Tutu Atwell or Van Jefferson that suffers because at this point, you're not taking Cup off the field. You're not taking Puka off the field. So it's it's kind of this weird, this weird game that's going to be played in how do I maximize the talent that I have right now? In my mind, because Tutu can do more than just run the seven to nines, he's capable of running the fours to six. He's capable of running crossers, slants, outs, uh, comebacks where whereas Van Jefferson is more of this straight line type wide receiver so in my mind I would expect that we see Puka Cup and Tutu as the three primary wide receivers in this very 11 personnel heavy offense I like that Cody Cody I, I want to ask you about Tutu Atwell there uh from a playing the long game here if and I'm not talking about a, a DFS lineup per se, but if you're in a league, a season-long league, is Tutu a good stash? I think he's an interesting one. Uh, you look at the last couple of weeks, 94% snap shares this week, which is career high. First time in his career, he's went back-to-back with six and seven receptions in a game. And, like, I know Puka, like we just talked about, he's getting all the headlines, all the conversations. He's second league in, in receiving yards. He's first in receptions. But Tutu Atwell, as you just talked about, he's stretching the field a little bit better than Puka is. And, and Van Jefferson has been very, very, very underwhelming. That was one of, you know, at Roster Watch, that was one of our favorite late-round targets. You get in the last round every single time because it seemed like Van Jefferson was going to be the number one wide receiver entering the season. It seemed like, right, until the season started. And now Tutu Atwell has 13 receptions on 17 targets through just two weeks and almost 200 receiving yards. He's he's the, he's that other piece in that offense. So that was I, I like exactly what Mark said because I think it's going to be interesting when Cup does come back. What it looks like, what the what the breakdown looks like because Van Jefferson was in on eighty two percent this last week, and then Atwell was at ninety four percent. Puka was at eighty six. So Atwell was in there for the most snaps at the wide receiver position during this game. I do think that it probably is Van Jefferson that gets kind of axed. Uh, his situation gets kind of dropped. I, I I definitely doesn't seem like you can put the the Puka genie back in the bottle when. Uh, Cooper Cup does come back, though. I, I I am confident there is somebody out there who spent a lot of fab money on Pukunikua. A ton. And, and I'm confident that they got ridiculed by some of their league mates saying they overspent. And then I am confident that that person was afraid of the 49ers and left 
Puka on their bench. And I'm so confident in this because that man is me. All right. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And 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 Brian Robinson, if we really want to put the icing on the cake there. Uh, but listen, listen, the team's good enough. I think we'll pull through. I, I Going back to some of those um, big money lineups this past weekend, I, as I'm looking at some of the different ones, I did notice that uh, there wasn't – I I guess there wasn't an obvious stack that I saw where you usually – like I, Daniel Jones was – you know, you'll see, you saw his name in a lot of these winning lineups. But unless you played Saquon also, you didn't have a Daniel Jones stack really in a lot of those lineups. Uh, did you find that interesting? And it, was there a stack out there that could have brought home the big money? Marco, did you have a stack going in your one o'clocks? Yeah, I mean, I uh, in my main lineup, I ran a, a Baker Mayfield, Mike Evans uh, with a DJ Moore bring back. Um, so the the early season in the NFL, as far as DFS goes, people like so if, like just talking about human psychology people don't like being uncomfortable we like the known we like to be in places that we're familiar with the beginning of the nfl season is anti that it is complete opposite we have all these unknowns we have uncertainty regarding player situations snap rates how teams are going to look offensive coordinators personnel you name it right so early in the season i'm looking to get weird i'm looking to get freaky and um, I saw this. Uh, all right. This, right. Let's go. I mean, this this Baker Mayfield and, and Tampa Bay Bucks. It's one of those situations like what if they're just not as bad as everyone wants them to be or wanted them to be coming into the season? And I mean, talk about Mike Evans. This is a guy who opened his preseason receiving yardage total was top 15 out of all wide receivers. He's coming off of nine straight seasons, surpassing a thousand yards. This guy is talented. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, he's doing things in the NFL that have never been done before. And his receiving yardage prop opened at 950 yards. That got bet down, actually, to 925 yards by the time the season started. Um, But this is a guy that I just keep turning to as this guy, and he proved it in Week 17 last season, too. Obviously, it was Tom Brady, not Baker Mayfield, but uh, that nice, solid 51-burger in fantasy points um, where he scored three touchdowns. So this guy clearly has ceiling. Um, So I was targeting that fairly heavily, but I want to quickly turn and talk about um, what you brought up with Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. And this idea of like best DFS practices kind of go against stacking a quarterback with the wide receiver or with the running back. And if you look at historical hit rates and we'll just look at the last three seasons um, and you look at the optimal rosters on a given week, the quarterback plus the running back, was on the optimal roster 18% of the time. And I can guarantee you that the field is not utilizing that roster construction at that rate. So what does that mean? You play that and you're just basically building inherent leverage. Obviously, you got to get the correct combo, the correct situation. But from a macro perspective, building things that the field is not doing that are hitting historically is just going to build inherent leverage when you're constructing DFS rosters. I think what's so interesting that we saw this past weekend is that, uh, well, if you were, if if you had the courage, I'll say to pick Daniel Jones and uh, Saquon after seeing what happened in week one, you probably chalk that up to the weather situation, but then through two quarters, you didn't see anything from the giants. They were shut out for six quarters. So Cody, when you, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to look at that game, 
Daniel Jones is not going to play the Cardinals every week, but yeah. do you think that's do you think that's more of what we can expect going forward? Because from a DFS standpoint, obviously he's got the rushing upside. From a season long standpoint, he was targeted as you know maybe a top twelve quarterback because of that rushing upside. So are you maybe back on the Jones train? Did you ever get off? I never really got on. I was kind of the one that was kind of just jogging behind, waiting to see what was going to happen. Um, so I think it's positive what we saw coming out of halftime, right? Being down um, 20 to zero coming out of halftime. And then they throw a deep ball to Jalen Hyatt from the rip. It's like, all right, we're just going to go out there. We're going to try right now. And they did. And that kind of sparked a little bit. And you saw some more rushing in the second half. You saw Daniel Jones score a rushing touchdown. I am worried with Saquon Barkley having an ankle sprain. Um, just kind of see mm-hmm. what that looks like because the running back behind them, like, one of the things that I've talked about on a number of shows is just what the what the coaches and GMs told us at the NFL Combine. They told us that they all want a number of running backs, and you've seen that widespread across the NFL that guys have brought in a number of backup running backs so that they have depth. And what does the New York Giants not have? They don't have elite depth, right? They have Matt Breida, Gary Brightwell, Eric Gray. I don't know what that looks like in the next coming weeks. I think Daniel Jones is going to be fine, but does that mean he gets more carries? Does that mean he becomes more inefficient? I'm not sure what that looks like in the rushing game with no Saquon Barkley next to him if Barkley misses any any sort of extended time. In the passing game, I thought what we saw in the second half, they started to get the ball to Darren Waller more and more. And And one of my big notes from that game was just like, hey, look, the New York Giants figured it out. When Darren Waller's on the field, we should probably target him. Like you could see, like when when Las Vegas was in some games last year, it was because it was like nobody can cover Waller, nobody can cover Waller down the field, down the field, down the field. Jalen Hyatt opens up a different aspect of the football game. Obviously, stretching the field, he had two targets downfield, caught both of them. They were kind of big energizers that 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 enhanced the offense. Darius Slayton was also stretched down the field. If they can start to get the passing game opened up a little bit more, I, I'm trusting the Giants. This was a big one to come back from. I know it was the Arizona Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals played Washington tough in Week One, and again, you saw you saw them play the Giants tough in Week Two. So um, I don't think the Cardinals are one really to laugh at. I like how their front four looks. Um, and they were they were able to push pressure on the Giants. I'm worried about that offensive line that the Giants have. That's what I'm most worried about on this Giants football team is just that offensive line. But I think Daniel Jones in total, I think he can elevate this thing, and I think that he can he can bring the Giants back around. I'm just worried about the offensive line, and I'm a little bit worried if Barkley misses any time. Yeah, there, yeah, it there makes you also, wonder. Sorry, go yeah, ahead, Mark. I'll interject real quick. There were also reports that Brian Dable took over play calling on the offense at halftime. Um, which is notable for sure. Um, if that is the case, I don't know. We don't know if that's going to maintain moving forward. But if that is the case, obviously we kind of like Brian Dable uh, over Mike Kafka as far as a pure play caller goes. Uh, he did all right in Buffalo. Uh, it, it, you know, I mean, he, he shows what he could do. Uh, back to the offensive line point. Sometimes you wonder for Daniel Jones, is it a design run or is he running for his life? And that's and that's the, I, I mean, you felt bad for him in that Cowboys game when they he was just running out there, but also kind of like okay, well he's trying to show the team that he can he could, but he really got his ass kicked that game. So we'll see what happens going forward with them. The the last thing I want to on, on some of these winning lineups, I, another player who was jumping out was uh, Josh Reynolds. Um, I, I believe he went for two scores yesterday. Uh, if you stacked him with Goff, Goff had an okay day, maybe you know, maybe not a stellar day, but for that Lions team, um, and now you have an injury to David Montgomery. Are are we are we confident in them, 
Or, or is, is Josh Reynolds, like, is he going to be a guy that you think we can rely on uh, at least until uh, Jamison uh, Williams comes back from a suspension? Are, are we seeing that as this offense? Or are we worried about this offense with Montgomery down and how they've kind of been willing or not willing to use Jameer Gibbs? What are our thoughts after this past weekend on Detroit uh, after that loss? You want to go or I'll go? Go for it, man. Okay. I was just going to say, I think that Detroit's fine. I think this team is is elevating. As far as Josh Reynolds goes, nine receptions the first two weeks, 146 yards, two touchdowns. Like He's playing that number two role to an elite level uh, almost next to Amon Ross St. Brown. I think Sam Laporta's been a great great uh, tight end in the inside as a rookie through two games, been fantastic. I'm not quite sure I understand all the Gibbs hate that we've seen the last two weeks. I mean, this guy went out literally had nine targets this week and two of the opportunities – um, well, he should have had 10. There was one where he was down the left sideline. He was wide open. Then there was a, a Texas route where he came across the middle and just flat out dropped it. There's so much upside in what Gibbs brings to the table. You've already seen Bijan Robinson, a rookie, be a top five back currently in fantasy football. Gibbs is on that trajectory, and I think he can do it just in the receiving game. I think they just need more trust and more trust and more trust. And if Montgomery's going to miss time, I think you're going to see him get more carries. But I think the thing is, you know, everyone's like, well, everyone's going to be upset. Craig's Reynolds, Craig Reynolds came in and got all the carries when Montgomery left. Okay, well, do you want to just put Gibbs in there and make him get hurt in the, in the same game Montgomery did? Like, we know Gibbs is a slender guy in comparison to Montgomery. It's you put the guys in the roles you want them to play in that specific game. Now, if they go forward and they say, oh, you know what, we want to give the Gibbs the ball 25 times, sure, maybe they do that behind the line of but I just I really doubt they're going to do that. I don't think that's how they want to utilize him. We've seen over the fat past couple of years what the upside looks like with a Christian McCaffrey type who does get the carries plus the receptions. If Gibbs is just getting the receptions, he's already by, by himself going to be pushing to be a top 15, top 12 back in fantasy just with the receiving work. So I'm not worried about Gibbs, and I think Josh Reynolds is going to continue to be a value um, for one reason for, for namesake, like he's just never going to get really propped up into that conversation just because of what we what we're perceived to know over the last five years of what he's done with the Rams and now with the Lions. But he's going to be a very, very, very competent number two. Talk about Jamison Williams coming back. Tell Jamison Williams does something in the NFL. I'm not really worried. He's on like strike three for me. So we'll see uh, if that has anything to do with Josh Reynolds. I think Josh Reynolds is a competent pro. I'm not sure Jamison's quite there yet. Mark is still targeting this Detroit uh, offense. Still, uh, I, I mean, at least when golf plays indoors. Yeah, well, you look at his home road splits from last year too, and they were stark. I'm not one to buy into home road splits, but they, when they were that drastic, uh, like we saw last year, there might be a little bit to that. Obviously, Detroit indoors um, on the turf. So I don't know how to kind of buy into that. But as far as Jameer Gibbs goes, there's an interesting point to be made that this was a rookie running back where they had a very specific game plan in ramping up his workload as the season progressed. And then his lead back, the guy in front of him gets hurt. If I'm a coach in that situation, I'm not throwing my rookie running back into something yeah. that I haven't prepared for. I'm going to wait. Now we have a full week of preparation. We could see his role between the tackles grow going into week three. Now that they have been able to practice, run those reps in practice. Because um, if you throw a rookie who has not practiced what you want out of him in a certain situation, you're probably going to get what you put into it, which was not a whole lot. So there's definite case to be made that we're going to see that role grow, particularly now it's probably going to be an accelerated timeline with the injury to Dave Montgomery. I mean, he came out and said, 
on Twitter or wherever, I don't know what, whatever social media was um, that he expects to miss multiple weeks with this deep bone bruise uh, in his thigh. So um, I would expect he's going to be just fine. Jameer Gibbs moving forward. As far as Josh Reynolds, this is an interesting study because the lions very clearly need a downfield presence. I was preaching this after week one. I was like, you're running Marvin Jones, who is at this point in his career, the ghost of Marvin Jones. I mean, he used to run a four, four, he used to be quick. Uh, but at this point, this man is one like on tape, not present, um, numerous mental lapses and mistakes were made in week one. Those kind of carried forward to week two, but I was of this opinion that the lions need this downfield weapon. They, they need Jamison Williams, but on their roster, a guy that they just re-signed this offseason to a two-year extension is Khalif Raymond, who runs a 4.3240. So they have that component, and they used him. They upped his snap rate from uh, 27% to 42% in week two, and then he caught a long touchdown. It's like, that's very clearly what this offense needs to open up the middle of the field for Amon Ross St. Brown, for your rookie tight end and Sam Laporta, for Jameer Gibbs. Um, and it, I saw some of that now. So that kind of gives me hope, actually, for when Jamison Williams comes back to the lineup. Well, I I do want to get a little bit uh, more into the Gibbs thing, but 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 comparing him to, to Bijan, who, who Cody brought up. But, but before that, you, you guys mind if I do a new segment real quick? Let's get it. All right. The segment is called Let's Plug Sportstopia. Please, everyone, follow Sportstopia along on all of our socials at Sportstopia HQ. They're always tweeting out good information. They're retweeting all of our experts. So if you have questions, you could probably find it there or you could check out sportstopia.io. We're, we're also have – we're talking about DFS lineups. We have the, uh, the contrarian optimizer there that can help you make some decisions about some ownership – who is a guy who not everybody has that might go off? It might help you put Daniel Jones into that lineup. So you can check that out, sportstopia.io, and all of our wonderful expert opinions. They're never wrong unless they are, and then I will call them out for it. All right, guys, you, you, I, you mentioned Gibbs uh, and the Gibbs hate, Cody. And I don't know if it's straight-up hate, like this guy can't get the job done, or was it compared to the hype he had going in to the season where sight unseen people thought he was going to be the guy and the the RB1 here some people anyway uh, that could happen here now with with Montgomery's injury but but I think some of that is coming to the comparison to Bijan in Atlanta right so we've seen Bijan for 2 weeks now just look like the best player on the field no matter who's on the field uh, making everybody miss uh, so I'm not sure if it's Gibbs hate compared to that, but here's where I am actually going to be a hater. Okay. On Bijan. Nobody's doubting his talent. I'm doubting his coaching staff. He's taken two snaps inside the five. I, I, I would be pissed off if I was a Bijan owner counting on, on some of this. It, do you, is that going to change or is he just not going to get this work on the goal line, Cody? I'm not worried about it. I think you're getting enough in the receiving game. You got five targets for four receptions, 48. Algier didn't have a single target in this game. I understand it, um, but I think one thing that people kind of overlooked coming out of college was how good of a receiving back that Bijan was. So you are seeing that translate to the NFL. And then as far as the opportunities go, as long as as long as Arthur Smith is smart enough to give Bijan at least uh, 
a little bit of the lion's share, you could say, you know, you want to see the 65, 35, 70, 30, whatever, and in, the, in an ideal world for the price you paid for Bijan. But we knew coming in and we weren't going to get that. So at least seeing him get the receiving work and at least seeing him get the lion's share of the carries because we know he's the more efficient back than Algier. I'm happy with that. I understand them bringing in Algier, the bigger bruiser guy that they want to have down there in the goal line. You're also going to get the Desmond Ritter rushing touchdowns like we saw this week. It, it eventually will it come maybe, but I'm okay with it. Not just Bijan's an efficient back period. And we get the receiving work. I'm fine with it. Mark, I'm sure you watched uh, a lot of that game. Uh, and, and, and I, and I know at least two of the three people in here were a little disappointed in the outcome, but I did it. I mean, we saw Algier with two touchdowns last week. I mean, he, he didn't do much yesterday. Is this, is this the shift change you think? Well, I don't think it's so much as a shift change as we're probably just slowly, gradually getting into kind of what this backfield, what Arthur Smith wants this backfield to be. It's the the same like lightning and thunder. I mean, you look around the league, it's the the Zeke, Tony Pollard uh, type setup where Tyler Aljair is capable because of his size and because of his lateral agility um, at that size to be a very effective uh, goal line short yardage type back. And whereas Bajan, like, yes, he can do that, but I don't think that Arthur necessarily needs him or wants him to do that because he is more comfortable and more explosive when he's getting off guard and off tackle. And that's kind of what we saw in week two. And, you know, Bajan started the season with a 63% snap rate. He was up to 72. And this offense is also going to run a fairly high level of 21 personnel with multiple backs on the field. So, yeah, I mean, Bajan is currently the overall RB3 in PPR scoring, and he's doing that at like basically what a, what amounts to half of the workload of a guy like CMC, who is the current RB1. So that is room to grow. That is room to maintain that high efficiency. And it's just, I don't, there's no reason, I think, to be worried at all about a guy like Bijan. So I'm making a note uh, Bijan, anytime touchdown scorer. Don't do it going forward. You're just going to be disappointed at the goal line. Uh, it, it's, it's apparently it's a running back day, okay? Because the last before we get to the Monday night's matchup, I do want to talk about one more. If we do want to talk about shift change, um, the surprising Washington Commanders. Uh, I think that's fair to say the surprising uh, Brian Robinson, the law firm of Robinson and Robinson, doing well all around the country. Brian Robinson, 129 total yards, two touchdowns, but. But what jumped out at me is the splits in the carries, and, and then even if you want to go to the targets, but the splits in the carries between him and Antonio Gibson is, I, I mean, is Gibson done? Or, or is this, are we done? Are we done with this show? Are we done with this experiment? Mark, what, is, what do you think is going on in Washington? Well, Gibson did have that fumble in second quarter of week one. And if you look at the snap or the, uh, the touch breakdown since his fumble, uh, 35 to Brian Robinson versus five for Antonio Gibson. So this is very, I mean, it's not very clear, but there's a, a, a potential for this new like hard ass coach and Eric Bieniemy who was so hard ass in the preseason that his players were going to the head coach and Ron Rivera and complaining about how hard ass he was. Um, but that's the kind of coach that they have now. And I was kind of, I didn't know what to expect because in Washington, you have like these two competing philosophical coaches. Ron Rivera is a guy who 
wants to harp on the little things. He wants to play a slowed down type game. He wants to win close games. He's never going to really push the pace on his own. Eric Bieniemy is the exact polar opposite of that. He's going to want to score as many points when he has the football as humanly possible. And we didn't, I didn't really get a good glimpse or, or an idea of how I thought that breakdown would work until like three days before the Washington commander's first game where reports came out that Ron Rivera didn't even know who Sam Howell was. And that to me was like, okay, well this guy is not involved in the offense. It's whoever his offensive coordinator is. And if his offensive coordinator is Eric Bieniemy, okay, we might have some wheels up situation here. Um, so yeah, from a game management standpoint, Ron Rivera is going to just want to keep the game close until the fourth quarter and try and win it in the fourth quarter. But from an offensive philosophical standpoint, Eric Bieniemy is going to want out, want to go out and put up points. And because of the fact that like Eric Bieniemy is, I guess, assumed now to be more mostly in charge and have his hands in the offense, I could see that Antonio Gibson's first uh, or second quarter fumble in week one probably played a little bit into this whole split that we've seen over the previous two weeks. So um, moving forward, I think this is Brian Robinson, a Brian Robinson plus situation where he's probably that 65% to 70% guy uh, with Antonio Gibson, who in the preseason did not look like he was going to be operating in this JD McKissick type role that everyone thought. Um, now, after that fumble, it kind of feels like he's been relegated to that a little bit. Yeah, I fumble. <laughs> if I fumble one more time, Sportstopia might kick me, kick me off the show. Uh, Cody, I, I'm reminded of the meme of that kid at high school practice where he's just being interviewed and he's telling, he's saying all of his teammates, dog. And I just look at the commander's offense and I look at Terry McLaurin, dog. Jahan Dotson, dog. Brian Robinson, dog. Curtis Samuel, some people didn't even know he was still playing. He's a dog. So <laughs> are you? I, I actually – I don't know if Sam Howell is a dog. He might be a puppy. Yes. But, I, I mean, what are we – what can we expect from – are you high – as high as I am apparently on this commander's offense, which has surprised me? And then go back to the coach, Biennemi. We know Biennemi's got a lot of success in his past. So, I, I what's holding – what is stopping me from being positive about this team going forward? And is it only Sam Howell? Maybe it might be Sam Howell just because you haven't seen him do it at a high level, and we've seen him do it against Arizona and Denver the last two weeks. Two teams that nobody was really overly high on. The next two weeks now, you got Buffalo at home, who has kind of been yo-yoing right the last couple of weeks. Philadelphia, who really hasn't caught their ground completely. They beat Minnesota, but it, it wasn't say I would be the most impressed with how Philadelphia looked. They have them the next two weeks, and then we get them on Thursday night football against Chicago. So we're gonna know in the next three weeks what Washington's really made of. I think it was interesting. You look at the running backfield, and you're talking about Gibson and Robinson the splits. W would it shock you if I told you that the the the, per the snap share percentages was Brian Robinson 52%, Antonio Gibson 48%. It was quite literally almost a 50-50 split for these guys. And I, I think it's great. Mark brings up the, the fumble last week. I do think that was a big shift change in kind of what they wanted to do with Gibson. But also, they really haven't done anything with Gibson. Last week, all I really saw him used in was a two-minute drill, and even with that, there was really not a lot for him. This week, you saw it again with the three targets, which is the same that Brian Robinson got. 
I was really distracted last week when I saw Curtis Samuel lined up as the single back, and then they brought in a fullback by the name of Chris Rodriguez, who's a rookie running back from Kentucky, and they played him at fullback, and they handed him the ball. Like Those are the opportunities where you expect the Gibsons to come in and use his athletic ability to make a big play. They literally are just running him out there and saying, hey, man, you know, run a couple routes. Maybe we'll throw you a football here or there. But like as far as the running game goes, he's no more than a, than a Ty Chandler at this point. Like They just don't want to use him. And, you know, you could say, well, is that because of his talent? Is that because of the fumbling? Is that because of Rivera? Is that because of Biennemi? We don't know. Back at the Combine, we talked to a couple of people that are inside the building in Washington, and they basically said the biggest winner in this Eric Biennemi situation is 100% Gibson. Gibson loves Biennemi, and Biennemi loves Gibson. And that couldn't be further from the truth, looking at week two and week one. Maybe they had a bad breakup. Maybe maybe something after nine scenes we don't know beyond that fumble. Clearly, the love affair is not there. Well, all right. So week two, almost in the books. A good recap there, boys, of the uh, of some of the highs and lows this past weekend. Uh, some some also mentions that we're you know we're not going to go in depth, but I mean, welcome Nico Collins uh, in, in Houston. I think that, you I'm, know I think I, I mean. But they're going to have to throw, right? I mean, they're going to have to throw, and they got to throw to someone. So, I I mean, finally it's there. Um, so, I I don't know. I think we'll talk a little bit more about him in the coming weeks. Uh, but let's shift to tonight. A Monday Night Football doubleheader, which um, I always remember being week one uh, doubleheader. Uh, but here we are in week two. Uh, some overlapping games. Uh, w- let's start. Uh, we, we, we got the Saints – and the Panthers. Uh, so, Mark, can we count on the Saints as a road favorite tonight? They're they're they they're getting they they got the three points. Can we count on them tonight in Carolina? There's a these are some interesting matchups on paper because you look at kind of where how these teams are all built, and they're re- really built from their front four on a defensive side of the football back, and that's clearly evident when you look at the the pressure rates from these teams in week one, Pittsburgh led the league with 55.9%. And that was against a fairly good San Francisco team that we just talked about. Um, The Cleveland Browns were ranked third at 29.4%. Carolina Panthers surprisingly ranked fourth at 27.3%. And then you have, um, you have the new Orleans saints who were fairly above average at 20%. So, I think a lot of these these matchups from tonight are going to start with the defensive line um, and the linebacking course. So the front four to the front seven and behind that, really the team that's kind of in the biggest struggle bus, the, the biggest hurt locker is the Carolina Panthers, because they're going to have a couple of pieces from that secondary that are going to be missing. And they're playing a New Orleans Saints team who led the league in week one in average intended air yards. So this is a team that wants to attack deep. So if New Orleans's offensive line can hold up to the expected pressure from Carolina, then um, Derek Carr will have the time to attack deep to Rashid Shahid, to Chris Olave, um, and that's really what could open up that game. But from a macro perspective, both of these games kind of set up to be these kind of slugfests because of the defenses that are involved. Cody, you, you, your guy last week, Hayden Hurst, uh, how high are we on him? Are, are we are we on him at all tonight? And what can we expect? Do you think from uh, those two offenses? It's a tough matchup. It's been a tough matchup the last couple of years against New Orleans. So I'm a little hesitant. 
but I need, I, I've reminded myself over the last couple of days of, of the reasons why I'm continuing to play Hayden Hurst is because the entire thesis behind it was the leading target getter on the Carolina Panthers is going to be Hayden Hurst on the season. It's just point blank what it's going to be. I've seen all these guys with my own eyes, Mingo, LaVisca, Thielen, Chark, Terrace Marshall. They're all below average at this current stage, right? Mingo's got some upside to grow into this offense. They want to use LaVisca a lot more than anybody really knows or expects them to do. Chark obviously has a role in this offense when that time comes, and Thielen is just a security blanket. The feature of this offense and, and the guy they want to get the ball to is Hayden Hurst, and they're going to continue to do that. He's going to get the targets, and I know he's not going to be you know, up in that tier with the Kelsey's and Andrews, but he is a guy that you can consistently trust week in and week out, and at this stage it's Monday night, so you either already have him in your lineup or you already don't. Um, so as far as DFS goes, probably not. I'd probably rather spend that money on somebody else. But I do like what, what Mark brings up in this game, I think, and that's one of the biggest targets. And that's a, a little – smells like a Rashid Shahid anytime touchdown again because, I mean, it just seems like to me he just keeps on finding himself in the end zone when you least expect it. This is kind of one of those games, Monday Night Football, after last week's game getting six targets, five for 89, and a touchdown. Shahid's just going to find his way down there. He looks like a – and, again, the number the number thing always throws you off when you think about a comp and then you're like, oh, damn, he has the same number. Like Dexter McCluster. A speedy guy that's just they can use him in all these gadgety situations. I, I like what New Orleans brings to the table. I'm not sure Carolina has enough gas to keep up with them tonight. What a pull, Dexter McCluster, right there. What a pull. Uh, Shahid had the uh, they had the they had the deep ball to him last week, right? Yep, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, Derek Carr, I, and so I mean, Derek Carr has a lot of opinions on him. I don't know if it, anybody throws a pretty deep ball than Derek Carr, he's got a great deep ball, so uh. We'll shift to the other matchup, and then I actually want to talk a little bit about any Monday night lineups you might have. We got Cleveland and the Steelers, the AFC North, the division rivalry. When I think of this matchup, I think in my head it means it's going to be an ugly game, and then I and then I remember how the Steelers played last weekend. So, Cody, we'll we'll start there. What are we thinking in terms of? Do we see something out of this Steelers offense? Do we see uh, what we absolutely couldn't see last week, which was hope? Do we see anything from them tonight? I think so. I think we see a little um stick. I mean, it was the toughest matchup he could ask for in week one against San Francisco. No, Deontay Johnson's obviously going to hurt, but I think a guy you can look at is not Allen Robinson, who I got that question multiple times yesterday and start sits. Should I play Allen Robinson? No, you should not play Allen Robinson at this stage. You should play Calvin Austin. That's the guy you should be targeting. That's the guy you should be looking at and adding to your benches if you haven't already. Calvin Austin's going to slide right into that slot role. I saw him at the Pittsburgh training camp. He looked fantastic as far as coming off an ankle injury last year. He plays punt returner. He's good in this spot. But when you look at this matchup, since 2004, Cleveland has won one time in Pittsburgh, and that was in 2021. It was a 48-37 game. One time since 2004. This, I mean, this this matchup right here today with Deshaun Watson doesn't look like Cooper's going to play, but with Nick Chubb, Elijah Moore, David Njoku, and they had the deep threat in Donovan Peoples-Jones, they have the roster to go in here and do it. The thing is, is what Pittsburgh team is going to show up? Does Tomlin have these guys ready to ride on Monday night? I think he will. I just want to see what it's going to look like. I, I want to see Pickett actually take that next step up because everything I've seen from San Francisco in the training camp did not tell me he was going to do that. So we'll see. Uh, Mark, I want to ask your opinion on, on that, that Cleveland offense, and then I actually want to get to this uh, viewer question. So in Cleveland, we saw in the rain last week, Deshaun uh, punched it in twice on the ground in, in that sloppy game. Um, 
you talk about the weapons that will be there, won't be there. Do you have – but but my thought was, as Cody just mentioned, Tom Lewin will have his team ready for this Monday night game. I thought Tom, Le- Tom Lewin would have his team ready for week one, and that was so uncharacteristic from a Mike Tomlin team. So what do, what do we think in terms of will that defense be up for it or will it just be T.J. Watt and a bunch of other guys? Yeah, I mean, T.J. Watt is the integral piece of this defense. You look at the the pressure rate that they're able to generate with him on and off the field, and they go from, like, the number one in pressure rate per game to, like, number 31. It's insane, the splits, uh, or what T.J. Watt means to this defense. But, yes, I, Tomlin is likely going to have this team ready. But when you when you think about what that means, it means the defense. Because the offense is Matt Canada's. And that's not what we want, <laughs> boys and girls. Um, Matt Canada, his offense is about as vanilla and basic. And he basically, it, he does not scheme his players into the best opportunity to make plays. He relies on his players to make plays. And he, th- what does that mean from a schematic standpoint? His route, his route, uh, overlap is very minimal. He is not basically moving um, and intermingling routes to create confusion. And while this matchup is probably better for that because now in Cleveland, we have a defensive coordinator in Jim Schwartz who runs a lot of man coverages. You saw it last week with Denzel Ward basically shutting down uh, Jamar Chase. So I would expect that we're going to see a lot of Denzel Ward um, on uh, Pickett, uh, Pickens, sorry, uh, George. <laughs> I always get them confused, man. Uh, yeah, but you, I, we're probably going to see a lot of Denzel Ward on George Pickens, and we're that's going to leave some of these other guys. And we just talked about one of them, Calvin Austin, who is a freak of nature as far as how fast he is um, in man-to-man coverage. And while we kind of saw what that did to the Bengals, that against this Pittsburgh team opens up some interesting opportunities for some guys to do some damage with the ball in their hands. So whereas the other game of the evening, I expect new Orleans to kind of control the pace and tempo with their downfield attack. This game is kind of interesting to me to see what man Canada can, can he do anything against this extreme cover one man coverage type defense from Jim Schwartz. Um, So I don't know that that can go, one of two ways. Obviously, um, Cleveland are missing uh, Amari Cooper. We have Deontay Johnson absent for the Steelers. So we're not going to see the same kind of offensive design, or at least I hope as far as Pittsburgh fans go, um, that we saw in week one. Um, so it's a it's in one of those games where I'm kind of throwing my hands in the air, like wide range of outcomes alert could go either way. Um, but it's very clearly going to again be driven, I think, by the defensive side of the ball on both sides. Well, I, I think before we get to this last question, I think Calvin Austin is going into all of my lineups tonight. I think that would be a safe bet. Uh, and and probably Shahid. I think those are the two I'll take and I'll take them confidently. All right. So this is actually an interesting question. We only have a few more minutes here, guys. Should I trade Evans for Garrett Wilson? I will likely try and flip Wilson for a running back as I have Higgins and Waddle. Now, going into the season, if you said, I'm going to trade my game for Garrett Wilson, I don't know who would have accepted the offer, but I'm sure they would be related to Mike Evans. So uh, what are we thinking now uh, with the quarterback situation? Uh, Cody, let's start with you. We only have a couple minutes here. 
I I kind of prefer Mike Evans' rest of season. I love Garrett Wilson, but we saw the eight targets yesterday. We knew the targets were going to be there, and they just happened to be two for 80 and a touchdown. And that, you know, we know downfield targets can be wishy-washy week in and week out. So if he doesn't catch that football, he's looking at a, a eight-target game with one reception, which is, you know, one catch better than what T. Higgins gave us last week. So um, it's not a good situation. I think it's something you can definitely, you know, Mark talked about Evans and, and what he means to the T- Tampa Bay offense. It's going to be, I think, year 10 with 1,000 receiving yards. You can about write it down in ink. So I think I would roll with Evans rest away in season long. It's a tough one to say, but I think that's what I would do. And Mark, just uh, about 30 seconds here. Your, your thoughts on this? Again, remember, they have Higgins and Waddle. And, uh, well, with, Waddle might have a concussion now. So what are you doing in this trade offer? The thing about trying to forecast being able to flip a player is if that player's on the block and you're the only one springing for it, you have to question what the market is going to be on the backside of that flip. So are you going to even be able to flip a guy like Garrett Wilson at this point? Depends on your league mates. And if no one's biting on it initially – you have to question that in the future. So it might make sense just to hang on to Evans here. Yeah, I, I, we're all waiting for the Wilson to Wilson connection to, to happen, right? I, I know they are in New York. It just doesn't really look like Zach uh, is going to. Doesn't look like he picked up all of Aaron Rodgers' Hall of Fame traits, I guess, during that training camp. All right, guys, uh, final th- just real quick, final predictions. Who wins tonight in both games, Mark? Uh, we'll go with New Orleans and Cleveland. All right, Cody. I'll go New Orleans by six and Pittsburgh by 10. Oh, wow. Cody giving out winners, giving out nothing but winners. I'm, I'm going to go Pittsburgh at home and I uh, go New Orleans on the road. I just don't see much from Carolina guys. Great show. Great week two. Let's see what week three brings. Hopefully the games I think will be shootouts will actually be shootouts this time. And, um, you know, hopefully my wallet's a little heavier after this. Guys, good luck in your lineups tonight. We'll see you next week. And for all of you guys at home, don't forget to check out sportstopia.io. There are great videos. There are great articles. There's great advice to help you try and win. And until next week, happy football. We'll see you after week three. (laughs) 